This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. My name is Emily Zinn, and I'm the Associate Director of the Carsey Wolf Center, which sponsors the programming here at the Pollock Theater. And it is my great delight to welcome Louis Leterrier, the director and executive producer of the new Netflix series, Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. Thank you so Thank much you so for much. joining us. Thanks for having me. So I want us to start first with the genesis of this project. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about why you wanted to be involved in extending the Dark Crystal universe? When I was 10 years old, I went to see the Dark Crystal in a French movie theater. Um, uh, I didn't know what I was going to see. I, you know, I was tricked by the name Jim Henson, so I thought it would be, oh, this lovely movie. My parents dropped me off in this movie theater, picked me up two hours later, rolled up in a ball, completely scared and shattered, <laughs> and, and it changed my life forever. And, and it's, it's the movie that shaped my eye, my really creative eye. Right. And it's, it's a movie that stayed with me not that I was obsessed with it, watching it all the time, but in a sense, it always came back. And it's the sort of movie that was on TV all the time and then was big on video. Yeah, it, was not, it was never very successful in a movie theater, but it was very successful on, on videotape and, and, and LaserDisc and every, you know, every, every iteration. And then you see, like, it's, like, it's, the, it's the movie that, you know, it's like uh, Tubular Bells is to CDs or discs, you know, it's the Dark Crystal, so they, sh- you know, and it was always there, always present. And then when I was doing this, a movie called Clash of the Titans, <laughs> I, uh, I was watching it a lot. And I, was sh- I was asking my crew to watch it, and we're doing screenings of it, because I said, this is how you do creatures right, and this is how you do a world right, and create a world right, and textures, and patina, and all that stuff. So I was watching, I was watching it. So after I was done with Dark Crystal, and it was successful, when, when we have a successful movie in Hollywood, they say, you can meet everyone in Hollywood. And I said, I just want to meet one studio that I've never met. I've met pretty much everyone. I was, I've never met the Jim Henson company. I've never met uh, Brian Henson, Lisa Henson, the, the Henson daughters, everyone. So... I uh, had a meeting with them, not to, not to do anything about Dark Crystal, but just to ask them questions and how they did that. And, and then Lisa Henson said, well, we're actually, we've been trying to do a, a sequel to Dark Crystal. And it hasn't, we, haven't cracked, we haven't cracked it yet, but would you like to, to try it? And I said yes, and then I kicked myself. I was like, wow, you <laughs> such an idiot. What, you said yes, you're going to ruin it, you're... Stupid Frenchman. And um, so it took a long time to develop it. And really, I was trying to crack the script. The script was never that great. It's tough because the Dark Crystal, the movie, I'm sure you, you know it, is, it, you know, there's a definite ending. It's, good. Right. <laughs> so it's a big exclamation point at the end. You're like, oh, let's restart it. <laughs> now, it was, it was tough. So it was a hard thing. But the, doing research, we were, I was asking a lot of questions. So we had to create almost a, the story the story of what led to, what led to, the, to the movie. Yeah. And I said, but this is interesting. This is much more interesting than what we're supposing will happen afterwards. Why don't we do this? And everybody was, was in agreement with me. And then, but we realized that we didn't have... In, it, it would be tough to do it in 
you know, three movies, let alone one, you know. Right. And so we said, well, we need to change mediums. And that's when we realized that's, that was the right, that was eight years ago, this, this, this is what I'm right. telling you. So, well, I mean, six years because of the development. And then there was the rise of Netflix and, and the real rise of Netflix with, um, with the House of Cards and, um, and all the other shows. And, and so we took it to them and to them only. And they were, because we knew they would be crazy enough to, possibly say yes to so we had one shot on we, were, we were the Luke Skywalker of the Death Star we were like okay we'll do everything eight years of work we'll do one thing and then we did it and, and they said yes so yeah. and it's amazing <laughs> yeah. yeah that's a great story yeah um, so I'm wondering you know I, I was interested in the question of why it's a prequel and you've answered that really well but mm-hmm. it just seems like there's so much to fill in in terms of that world so but I'm also interested in that subtitle why did you choose to go with Age of Resistance? Because we started with Age of Rebellion, but Star Wars at the <laughs> and then and then and then you know, it's obviously a political statement. So we were like, yeah, I mean, Resistance makes sense. It's it's what's happening these days. This is not so far. It's a it's a fable, but like every fable, it talks about our world, the world. Well, our world now, but the world then, it's, it's, in a sense, it's funny. I mean, it's funny. It's terrifying. Jim Henson's nightmare is our reality today. Right. This was, this was, it was supposing this would happen with the ruling class crushing the, you know, the, little, the little people, the world dying, etc., etc. That's a world he, he took, I mean, he, he, he was, you know, in, in the 80s, the world was doing slightly better but not as great as you know so so he he was he was aiming for that but he would never he would have never guessed that 37 years later the show would be oh his movie would be so current yeah so incredibly present yeah, yeah. yeah i'm particularly interested with the subtitle in that that final speech that the chamberlain um, that voiceover speech oh, voiceover, he makes yeah. in this episode that mm-hmm. we've just watched and there's that moment where he says you know even if Rianne talks none will believe They'll shun him, cast him out. How can they not? To believe that him is not to believe themselves. Can right? you do so it you in Chamberlain's voice now? <laughs> no. <With> a... <laughs> <laughs> I had to fix the grammar in there. I just couldn't do it. But, I know, yeah. but I wonder if you can talk a little more about, you know, to believe him is not to believe themselves. Like what, he, what's going on there? Frankly, if you keep watching, especially, you know, I'm this, this, I'll answer good. The show is so well written. The dialogue. I mean, our writers are incredible writers, and they 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 they, they really sometimes hit you with mm-hmm. sentences that become so you can you cannot unhear them. Yes. Later in um, in episode two, Chamberlain says, "I." I, that's what I do. I plant lies yes. and, and watch them become truths. And which is like my favorite. That's my favorite. It's so perfectly real, you yes. know. And and that's who Chamberlain is. And if you think about it, like he's the evil guy, but he's like he's also the one that's most he's the most cunning and in a sense he that's the beauty of this thing it's all about shades of gray it's not the evil guy that just wants destruction he's the evil guy that eventually later in the in the season will want to defend the the, the gelfling he he needs them he knows that you need the 
you need a lower class. You, need, you, people, you yeah. need a little people in order to stay on top. Without the little people, then then becomes you know a problem. You know, so so yeah, it, it's for this the subtitle, the dialogue, everything. You know, if you turn if you turn off the image and listen to the thing, it's very modern and and very much uh, political. And we were it wasn't purpose. I mean, you know. You heard him. He says, "Sad, so sad for a reason." You know, it's like it, it's just, we say we, that, we did that on purpose. But it's, you know, it's sort of like it goes over to some people, and that's that, that's what I want you to do. I, I have um, we're talking about in 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 the, in the green room. We're talking. I have many kids. Too many kids. <laughs> like I have kids ranging from eighteen to a month old, and and I have a we we always struggle finding. A show. I, mean, I wouldn't show this to my two-year-old, but we always have a struggle finding shows that we can all enjoy together. There's, you know, and and this is. <laughs> you're laughing. It's not exactly. I'm a terrible father. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, no, but that's. It's. I remember seeing Star Wars, for example, where they, we were all. My father, my my mother. They were. We were enjoying. We're, they were enjoying the filmmaking and the, you know, and the vistas, and I was enjoying and I was loving the, you know, the story of this um, here of these heroes. So it's it's that's what I wanted to do is to do something where the kids will enjoy the visuals. They'll, there's some cute stuff. There's some scary right. stuff. And then the parents will be like, yeah, that, yeah, I, I know there's, what he's talking about. <laughs> there's political allegory. I read it on Twitter <laughs> yesterday. Devastation <laughs> going on. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, sw- shifting gears a little. Um, I want to talk. I want to back up and talk a little bit more about that collaboration with the Henson family. Uh-huh. So, what was it like working with the Henson family, and particularly working with some of the artists who worked on the original, the original Dark, Dark Crystal, Crystal with the um, with the Froud family? Yeah. So, I mean, the Henson family. It, it, I don't know if you guys know where the Henson studio is in LA. I mean, basically, it's on La Brea, and there's like a big Kermit. So, and it's this wonderful studio. It used to be Charlie Chaplin's studio. So you get. Right. You know Charlie Chaplin's footsteps on the on the floor and any signature and stuff. So it's an amazing place. So you walk in; it's quite magical. On top of that, it's like it's a it's a recording studio. So that's where they recorded "We Are the World" and stuff like that. So you always have like, mm. hey Paul McCartney, hey <laughs> Justin Bieber. I mean, literally, like every day you've everybody's got like walking. yeah, everybody's there walking. It's kind of a weird college of creation. It's kind of interesting. It's beautiful, made of bricks. So, but. It, it's really it's a special place because it's sort of like a bubble suspended in time. It's kind of this weird because there's a strange obsolete essence that exists, you know, that where puppetry exists, and they keep they keep maintaining it, but they also are creating crazy computers and stuff like that. So they're really they are they are true artists, the Hansen and the, what they call the Creature Shop, which is this hole in the wall thing in in Burbank where they create all the puppets, the actual puppets. But like there's lots of stuff that you wouldn't know like sometimes you walk in there and there's like, you know, whatever Tony the Tiger from you know, because they're building stuff they're building lots of stuff all the time. And and uh, so that's the Henson family and they're great they they they're keeping the memory and well the the legacy of their father alive and they really are pushing really really hard to keep puppetry alive and developing it in a different way. So that's the Hanson family. Now the Froud family 
So Brian Froud and Wendy Froud, well, they weren't Wendy and Brian Froud then, they were Wendy and Brian, two people that worked with Jim Henson. Okay. They fell in love on the original Dark Crystal and had a baby called Toby, and they all worked together. But Toby, before Dark Crystal, was the baby in Labyrinth. So this whole family of, I mean, <laughs> they're... they're as strange as their <laughs> drawings. When you go and visit them, I went and visited them in Dartmoor. I mean, first of all, everybody's like this tall and I'm like a giant. So I walk into their little, you know, 400-year-old house and I'm like, ow, ow, ow. I can barely walk through their stuff. And, and, and everything is old and dusty, but they create, they keep creating. They're amazing. They're beautiful. They create, you know, and they just like, they, 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 they create this... Uh, they keep creating this art, and they're, they they live in the middle of of nature in Dartmoor, where there's where they believe fairies and trolls right. exist, and so they, they they are they are you know they they take you on walks, and they're like, look at this 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 rock with that moss. That was my inspiration for you know the mystic and this and that and this, and it's really and they're amazing people. So it was important for me when coming back to this world that we were using the same DNA, you know, right. uh, uh, and, you know, on top of the technique that the people that did it, I, I never expected Brian Froud, I, I thought that Brian Froud would be our guide and be like, yeah, I'll show up sometimes, I'll give you, I knew Toby was with us, but I was like, I wasn't expecting Brian to be that involved, but he stayed on every day, same thing with Wendy, and they came in, and literally Wendy, she was, at one point, you see uh, one episode one. No, you don't see it yet. But in episode two, there's like a huge giant forest, and every and we build these these enormous sets, um, and everything was alive in those sets. And you had creatures and everything. So at one point, sometimes, whoops, at one point after shooting in this forest over and over again, we ran out of new creatures because I wanted stuff. So I was like, eh, we've seen this creature ten, six times now we need new creatures she was like no problem and she came in and took all the bits and bobs of like stuff that fell on the ground and she <laughs> she was creating creatures like two creatures <laughs> every day like and this is it's amazing that stuff is absolutely amazing the stuff she was creating they're it's it's they're different people they're just yeah. like yeah they're they, they work they think differently and they're puppet magicians yeah pup, yeah i mean and they create things that are Iconic with like two things, like you know, there you go. Oh yeah, look at this table. You twist it this way, it looks like eyes, and that's and then it. it you has know. A personality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and you have personality. Yeah, that. There's, oops. So there's a rock. No, there's a rock at one point, a moving rock at one point, and 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 it was like, yeah, I'll, you know, it was written a moving rock. It's like, yeah, I'll make it work, and he created this really iconic creature out of something that was on set that we'd walked by. I walked by 10 times. I didn't think about it. It was like, if you look at this, 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 and you twist it this way, it's a r-. And I was like, it's the most, <laughs> it's like you can't, you cannot unsee this thing. It's like, I want this to be a creature in my dreams or sometimes nightmares. Yeah, exactly. That's fabulous. <laughs> well, that ties in nicely to the fact that as we talked about backstage, this is part of a series that we're doing on special effects and oh. particularly on the role of craft in special effects. Yeah. And so I was interested to hear you talk a little bit about puppets as a special effect and what's the, what's the appeal of puppets? Why use puppetry instead of any other technology? What are puppets good for? Nothing. I mean, honestly, <laughs> and Brian Fred will tell you the same thing. Puppets can do any, they cannot do anything. They're terrible. <laughs> but <laughs> handled by the right people. <laughs> 
I mean, the puppet, the, I love puppets. I mean, I, I, I'm obsessed with puppets, but it's true that it's the most difficult way of making anything. <laughs> it's just asking somebody to handle a puppet. But it's, it's what's exciting. It's just they cannot grab anything. They, you know, obviously, you don't see their legs. You can, you can only frame them from here to there. So right. I'm, I'm directing, but I'm also camera operating, so handheld and steady cam and doing all that stuff. It's really hard to frame out the puppeteers and frame out the top of the studio, the stage. So I was like doing all that stuff all the right. time. Then I got used to it, and I, it's like it became a, you know sort of like a language. But it's 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 so hard, and 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 at the same time, it's so incredibly joyous. It's like working, like we all work together as a team, and that, you know, and cra as you say, craft. I'm in love with craft. I, I think I became a filmmaker thanks to. Star Wars and Dark Crystal because of the books, you know, sort of like the, the making of books, how they explain how they did that stuff. I was like, ah, I, I didn't really care about becoming a filmmaker, you know, film, like the ego of becoming a filmmaker. I just wanted to make stuff, you know. Oh. And, and with this, with Dark, Dark Crystal, the beauty of it is that you come in the morning and you, obviously we've created the whole thing, the set is built and everything out of polystyrene and stuff, but and eventually it becomes this, but it's the only sh only movie, only show, only thing I've ever done where in the morning we all look at each other. Like, I mean, the crew is like, you know, as, you know, as many people as people here in this theater and we're like, okay, today we have to do a battle scene or like a love scene or something. And people are like, okay, so we'll start with this. We'll start with this. We'll, and we, you build it together slowly but surely. And, you know, no, normally on a movie, you sort of like, you end up, it's just, he ends up just being between two actors and right. the director and camera people and the sound person. It's it's a small group, and then the rest of the people, you know, on their phones <laughs> and doing that. In this in the, in this instance, everybody was busy all the time. If if you were not busy doing your job, being you know a light person or something, or a PA bringing tea or something, I was sending you under under the stage and. Like, you know, moving one of the... Everything was alive on the set. So every, yeah. wow. But it's the thing where, where we have to find those moments of truth thanks to craft and not actors in a wig or something. Right. And, and, uh, so it's, very, it's a very different thing. But once you get it, and it's rare that you... I mean, it's rare. It's, you, you're going to get... You're going to go to get to the perfect take or what I think is the perfect take and then and then you get tired and there's a steep decline so it's almost like a moment that you you better get right me as a camera operator I better get right because it's sort of like you get your work really 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 hard it's like Iwo Jima you know when they brought that, that flag <laughs> right. up it feels the same thing with puppets like ah, we got it okay boom and then and then and then move on and you know. well it's like you know the <laughs> You know the myth of Sisyphus, you know, the guy that brings out the, fold, the boulder and then you run. It's the same thing. It's exactly this. You do it. In this case, because it was a TV show, I was doing 65, 100 shots a day. Just imagine this. rolling yeah. boulders. Yeah, 65 boulders a day. Yeah, exactly. So I understand in preparation for this, you attended puppetry school. Well, so, what I call yeah. puppetry school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well... I knew nothing. I mean, you know, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's going to be easy," and it's, it was it was so hard. So, I I I bought puppets online and did my thing, and they, and then also stayed, watched them build the puppets, understanding mm -hmm. how a puppet because there's so much 
so obviously you've got one puppeteer. When you have to understand the puppet character is minimum three people. So a gelfling will be three people. One person in the head uh, uh, on, the, on the left hand with a rod and then another assistant on the on the right hand mm-hmm. and then a third person on a RC controller like okay. a like a plane controller but that's kind of like modified for all the eye movements and the stuff like that mm-hmm. you know and the, the ears so that's three but when you have a skexis that's like four five six sometimes six people get, when sometimes you have the tail and two sets of arms then it's like people hiding everywhere and it, I, I need to understand that because I was like, right. but, but how do you direct? I mean, it's hard to direct one actor, right. let alone like six people. Oh, like, people. okay, tail, I want you to be like really expressive, you know. <laughs> Your mother has just died, you know. <laughs> and, and no, but if really you're like, you literally I was directing arms. I was like, right. and that's when, you know, little arm on the left, you go there and little right, you know, big arm on the right. And then, and everybody has to work in sync. So that's, I need to understand how a puppet is made and how it's it's sort of like activated and puppeteered to to understand how to direct them, you know. So, right. uh, and, and that was the beginning because then afterwards I was like, okay, good, I understand. Now let's make it all new and different, and let's break everything you've done before, and let's do camera movements, and you guys are going to run and fight, and I don't know if some of you guys have watched the the whole show, but episode, I mean. Five on, it's crazy, like battles and car chases, and I mean, it's like you know, I, I can't help myself. Yeah, it's like yeah, I do bangs, I do boom. <laughs> I like, I like when he goes boom. Uh, yeah, excellent. Yeah. Uh, so I was also interested in hearing about the process of directing in terms of the relationship between the puppeteers, and you were saying, you know, it's actually a cluster of puppeteers, mm-hmm. and the voice actors. So yeah. You know, do those people have contact with one another in creating the character? Is it all? I would never let an actor be, you know, destroyed by a puppeteer. No, <laughs> they don't. They they some some did. It, it came later. Like Taron Egerton, who plays Rian, mm-hmm. came on set because he was one of the first ones to be cast. But the you know, it took us. We needed to edit the footage, mm-hmm. and while I was editing, that's when I was casting the you know doing the voice cast. So. Some of them hadn't met, and then they. It was it was sweet, I, you know. We had a premiere in London, and and Nelly Emmanuel, who plays uh, 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 Deet and Miss Sunday in Game of Thrones, she met her puppeteer. She had two puppeteers, and they were like everybody was crying. It was Aww. like so beautiful, like you made me look so beautiful. <laughs> and it's really a, it's. It's it's the character is fully realized when the voice comes on, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, the, it's normally when you do an animation project, you would do the voice first, and then afterwards, you know, the animators you would sing the thing, it. and then you redo a second version, and then you perfect the thing. Here, he was pretty much like straightforward. The I was directing the puppeteer, the main puppeteer, to do the the voice and to do everything. Then I was editing that, and that was giving us. A direction, and then afterwards, that direction was tweaked, you know, mm-hmm. matched but tweaked by the actor. Um, uh, and I mean, we, we spent so many hours. I mean, everything takes forever. You know, that's the thing. It's like we're talking about. It's like it's it's the first and last time you'll ever see this. It's so complex, so expensive, so insane. Like we're it's 
it's the swan song of this amazing art. And I, I, we did it. I'm so, I'm so lucky that we did it, that Netflix allowed us to do it right and to do it big and to go out on all a... All this detail. Well, I mean, it's sort of like, it, you know, it's a big... You know, we took a big bow and we're like, thank you very much, world. Puppetry is out. My drop. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work in a world... Now, in a world where now you can do everything CG, I, I, I mean, I love CG. Mm-hmm. I think it's missing... There's something missing in CG. There's something that where I'm like... I mean, I've done so much CG, full CG characters, Hulk, etc. But I'm like, I, I don't know. I just... I, it's not... Completely clicking for me. I think the you know the human brain is is smarter than the machine creating the CG. Where's the puppets? You know you know it's you know it looks weird and cookie and the voice flaps differently than a regular voice than a regular mouth. But it's like it, your brain sort of like is used to it. But you know generations of, of of people you know suffering through horrible puppeteer but you know puppet shows have made us accept that reality in a it's sense, an yeah. abstraction that our brains know how to yeah read, we accept right? you accept little, it you yeah. know it's like you know yeah i watched you know as a frenchman I, you watch guignol you know which is this like you know punching punching judy mm-hmm. and it's sort of like you're like your parents force you to watch it and eventually you're like ah oh, kind of enjoy it you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but it, it, unfortunately it's it's such a I mean, you can do small stuff, and there'll be other, you know, there'll be small things, you know, there'll be other attempts to puppet into the, the puppet into puppeteering. But I think the best match is sort of like is using puppetry as in addition to real actors, and and Selective. it's like the nice blend of every, of every technique, you know, and every craft. I mean, it's great that you do, you guys are doing a, a visual effects. I mean, a special effects craft series because it's sort of like I think today's world with Dark Crystal coming back in the forefront of this it, it can ex- you know I mean I'm, I, I the next movie I'm making the next shows I'm making shows I won't do that but like the next movies I'm making I'm doing a big sci-fi thing now or fantasy thing I know I'm using every technique CG actors puppetry makeup all that stuff I think craft is like that's how you as a filmmaker and well as an audience member I like to be tricked. I like mm-hmm. when, I, when there's like a different, it's a mixed bag of tricks. It's like, whoop, oh, puppetry, oh, whatever, makeup, or oh, real CG, and you don't know when CG starts and, and, you know, or the actor. I think it's interesting when you get that stuff. Yeah, yeah I was very interested in that with this show because obviously you are using quite a bit of CG yeah. in this, and I wonder uh. if you can talk about a place in the show where we might be surprised at the ways in which you're blending CG and practical effects? Well, obviously, sometimes, you know, when the final shot, when Deed comes out of the tree, you know, and you see the whole world out right. there, obviously that's a CG. Sh- well, she's real, the tree is real, some of the tree is real, but, but then there's the, an extension. But there's an extension in the whole world, yeah. So that's very, I mean, it's very obvious, it's well done, but it's like, it's, it's although it's elements and real elements patched together in a CG world, it's, it's, it's a CG, it exists in a computer, the full, the full thing. But there are some stuff like Deet, for example. Deet, her eyes, you know, Deet, the green girl, you know, with her eyes were too big to put a mech in it, so she couldn't oh, close right, her eyes. She has she those cave eyes. Yeah. She has those giant cave eyes, so she couldn't blink. So 
all her blinks and basically expressions are, she didn't have a remote person uh, uh, did. So everything, it's, it's, a, it's, not a, it's, it's not full 3D, it's 2.5D, when I call 2.5D, it's mm-hmm. photo mapping of her, of her eye, but it's, it's CG well done, you know, and sort of like, a, a sort of like seamless handoff. Um, the tongues of the Skeksis, tongues are CG and Oh, they're tongues. The tongues, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Dietz's eyes are so soulful and yeah, so soulful, believable. Yeah, yeah. Like, they're really important to the But, like, show. for example, Brea's eyes are so well done, and that's, that's full, that's real. That was the same puppeteer. That's, she's, she's like a freak puppeteer. She can do everything herself, this uh, lady, Alice Denine. And she has this, basically, it's a Wii remote. You know the Wii remote? It's like a Wii remote that she can, she all, she like this and she can move the eye and change the expression and uh, Brea is so expressive and that's that's real and and what we did with the CG is the it, obviously you can do whatever you want with CG I mean you know today you replace Will Smith's face with young Will Smith's face you can do whatever you want with CG but, but do you want to but you want no but you I mean you can if you're angry but uh, me my thing was like oh don't go be, don't go higher better than Brea just you, we know Brea is the you know the apex of what a, you know a puppeteer can do expression wise, what did can only be matched to this level, and everything we were doing, all the CG walks and the stuff like that, um, were you know some uh, in episode two you'll see some some Gelfling walking around, Rianne jumping out of the castle and all that stuff. Right. I mean that stuff was CG, but like based on a puppet model, and and but like but when he hits the water. Poof, that was real. That was a puppet, you right. know, and and the water was CG. So it's like a mixing trick. So you never know what is real, what is not. So, so, so uh, I think it's I, I think it's the best way for you, for you know, you filmmakers out there. Um, it's just mix mix it. Just like I think, just the eye, to to like the full CG. It gets old very. Also, also it gets very, it gets old much faster than than. When you capture something for real on camera, like the Dark Crystal, the movie, thirty-seven year old movie, yeah, it's kind of like you know oldish. But watch a thirty-seven year old special effect movie, you know, right. like the original Clash of the Titans is wonderful. But there's some stuff you're like, whoa, it's so <laughs> yeah. no, but it's, it's like you know, but it's like Ray Harris is different. But like there's when you do like when if we watch. If we watch a, a CG a full, like Avatar in 37 years, 37 years from now, we'll see. We'll be like, ah, yeah, yeah no, it looks or whatever. It'll be you know. dated, yeah. Well, it'll be like I don't know. It'll be like CG because the Moore's law will just go, you know, much faster, much higher, much faster, much better until it's like completely, absolutely, you know, mimics real life forever. But like I think puppetry. He's sort of like locked in time. I, I just we pushed it as far as it can go. I think. Right. You know, right. In this season, maybe we can do another season. Push <laughs> it even further. We can do further. <laughs> There's more story. Yeah, more story. <laughs> Speaking of more story, um, so I I think of this as one of those fantasy world building projects like um, Tolkien's Middle Earth. Why? Um, what do you think the appeal is of the fantasy world for telling the kinds of of stories you're trying to tell here, like the stories about environmental issues or about political issues. Why create fantasy worlds to do these things? Because it's it's always been our 
in our storytelling ways. I mean, from the Greeks to, you know, the Romans to the Gauls to Tolkien to... Fable Mm -hmm. has always been, and myths, and they've always been, and allegory, they've always been our, our, uh, our ways of, of understanding reality and, and big concepts and grasping religion. (laughs) It's the way of tackling the Bible is a great, I mean, it's like, no, but it's really, it's like you read stuff and you're like, oh, great, 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 great. It's like, we like to, we like, we like big set pieces the bible is full of these you know right. sort of like giant action set pieces there you know and that's the thing so like we we write we write stories to understand our world and we just you know we just you know i also believe that as creatures we're not intelligent enough to you know make it all up so it's sort of like Somewhere, somehow, there's a unicorn running around, and I'm like, "We're gonna find it." You know, it's like <laughs> I'm a true believer that every, that there's, you know, there's a big unknown out there. It's not, you know, we're not mere mortals and just making making up stories just to scare ourselves. But, but I think these yeah. fantasy elements are out I, there. I, yeah, yeah. don't you think that's exciting? You know, I don't know. <laughs> well, and I'm also interested in the idea that you know you were not only making a prequel to a film, but also there was a lot of sort of ancillary material out there on the Dark Crystal universe when you started this project, right? There were novelizations and graphic novels, and what was it like to sort of work in that world? That was the beginning. When I started eight years ago, there was nothing. (laughs) And I was like waiting and waiting, and then I was like, don't take all the good stories, you know, wait, wait, wait for us. But we sort of like, it was out of our research that these... Interesting. Yeah, it's like these were... These were literally, you know, streams of storytelling that we were launching. And Lisa Hansen or, you know, uh, you know, different people at the Hansen company were like, oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, let's do, I mean, it wouldn't hurt us. I mean, right. it, we, we didn't know we would have, uh, we were trying. It was like a lab, you know, it was a dark crystal lab. We were trying stories. We we're like, well, let's launch this story and let's launch this story. When we realized that we weren't going to do, I was not interested in doing the sequel uh, movie we did a we gave it to image and they did a, a comic book you know mm-hmm. and and sort of like it was it was helpful it was just like launching mm-hmm. lots of stuff and there's lots of lots of stuff that people have not seen and will never see um, animatics tests that we did with a CG gal fling to see if it would work just to prove ourselves it would never work uh, uh, and it would, it was not working it was like they look exactly the same they just it just doesn't feel the same well and you know some of that is in the making of oh yeah, yeah right. you see a little bit you see a little bit but it's funny it, it, it's fine you know and it's like pretty horrific but like you know in when you watch because we did a little short film we did a five minute short film um, that's what Netflix at in the beginning Netflix was like are you sure you don't want to use CG? I was like, no, no, no CG. And they say, well, okay, try with one puppet, one CG, and, you know, do a chase between a Skeksis and a CG Gelfling. And I did that, the five-minute short. And it, I mean, it's fine. It's like it didn't, didn't rock my world. the contrast is yeah. so, you know, so striking. That well, the, I mean, you can do whatever. The are so textured. Yeah, exactly. And... Yeah, yeah. It's just the texture of it. And it was not the greatest Skeksis. We just did it really quickly. It him really quickly, but the I don't know. It's just I feel like it's weight. Also, there's no weight. You know, CG has right. no weight, and you can add weight 
I mean, you can add weight to your CG element, but still, it doesn't feel the same way. Like the hair doesn't. Have the, yeah, yeah, it's just, yeah. It's just it's, everything feels a little bit too perfect, more human than human, more puppety than whatever. It's like it's like a little bit too much, you know. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about a couple of details of the episode we've just watched, and the yeah. first thing I'm wondering about is the way it opens, that you've got this opening voiceover, yeah. which echoes the opening voiceover mm. of the original film, which I was looking at some of the excerpts of the original script that are online, and they refer to that opening voiceover as the classy narrator. Um, <laughs> so the idea that... Uh, you, uh, 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 so, no, the, the, the original movie. the original movie. film, yeah. Uh, so the idea that Joseph O'Connor, the person yeah. who's doing that yeah. opening voiceover, he's the classy narrator. Oh, he's classy. Yeah, he's so classy. Um, <laughs> so the idea that in this, you've chosen to replace the classy narrator with Sigourney Weaver. Can she's you talk classy. a little bit about she's so classy? <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about the, you know the the desire to retain the voiceover and to use Sigourney Weaver for that um, for that moment? The move the show was not starting on this and that was a Netflix, Netflix when we started I was almost done editing the whole uh, show and they were like, I think people will be... Lo-. And they did like some tests amongst friends and they were like, hey, people are a little lost in the beginning. The show was starting with the Skeksis walking in oh. and we knew there might be a voiceover, but we were like, you know, we were like, I wanted, this, I wanted to drop the audience in the middle of... Like start with the problem, you know, start with the why now moment, the inciting right. incident, which is like the crystal stops working, you know, and you can have a voiceover saying, you know, the Skeksis is rolling class. So I wanted to, because they didn't want to make it, they're evil, they're good. So, and so they asked for a little, uh, for a little um, prologue and I didn't want to do your typical storybook opening with like, you know, pitch turns and all that stuff. So I, I was like, oh yeah, how can I do it? And I was thinking, oh, not do the map, the Game of Thrones, Thrones map. Right. But I was like, that's interesting to see almost like a chess, you know, like a, you know, a little, little bit of a chess, yeah, a little yeah. tableau and like a little bit of a, almost like an RPG game, you know, like a Dungeon and Dragon thing. So I was like, okay, it'd be good to understand that. You see the symbols, you get used to it and, and everything. And so we got the visuals right and everything. And then came time to cast... Uh, it and and yeah, we could have gone with a classy big voice <laughs> and everything, but I was like, oh, let's change it. It's like a different world. It's a world. It's it's hope is still alive. Well, I mean, there's no right. problem. Put it. In, I wanted to put it in the Gelfling perspective and not the Skeksis perspective. The Skeksis don't you know? The, the, it was more, and that's why if you know the mythology of of um, of the Dark Crystal universe, what Sigourney is saying is not exactly the truth. Mm-hmm. It's a truth. It's like a version of the truth that the Skeksis want you to uh, to hear. Um, and and so we so I said, yeah, I want some you know somebody a little you know younger. I'd love a, a woman. And and I thought of. Uh, it's a classy lady, Sigourney Weaver, <laughs> who happens to be my godmother, so it was very easy. I called her. Really? I was like, <laughs> I was like, hey. That's a good Do you want a job? I hear you have a problem. <laughs> I hear you have a classy voice. Uh, yeah, you have a classy voice, yeah. Very nice. And you're available. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and she's great. She's amazing. Sigourney, you know, obviously, yeah, she's my godmother, but she, you know, we... We've never worked. I, I would never be like, eh, see, yeah, yeah. We'd, I've never, I've never done that in my life. But I was like, I was like, oh, it'd be so fun to work with her on this, and 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 you know, if we get to do seasons two, three, four, five, 
she's going to be a character. You know, she has a, oh. she has, a, you know, she's the myth speaker. The myth speaker, right? So she, she is a character in the, in the, well, in the she's universe. She's such an iconic voice. It's great. Yeah, no, she's great. great. Yeah, and when she, you know, like all her nature uh, uh, documentaries, are, you know, her her narration is soulful and beautiful and. Right. She's very fast, dude, which is good. You know, I was like, in and out. <laughs> nice. Boom, two takes, you're out. <laughs> very, very useful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the things she's setting up there then at the beginning is the idea that instead of, you know, in the film where you've just got two Gelfling who mm-hmm. are completely separate from their cultures even, here you've created seven different clans with different cultures. So can you talk a little bit about that process of creating a you know a culture for yeah yeah I mean in a political society and everything well that's very much you know what it is that's actually that's Lisa Hansen Lisa Hansen uh, and uh, Hal Stanford her head of uh, TV development they they created this incredible rich universe as we were researching because it's funny because. There was nothing. There was some research, but not much. Uh, Brian Froud had sort of like redeveloped or you know sort of like expanded upon notes that he'd taken with uh, with Jim when writing the script and created a you know uh, the what we call the world of Dark Crystal, you know, which is and 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 uh, and, and, and some books about the the stories, but the, the stories were they were conf- the truths were conflicting. Mm-hmm. So we we just went back and did. Kind of like, almost like an archaeological study on the movie, and we're like looking at signs and recurring visuals, right. and we're like sort of like piecing stuff together, and we're like th- three is a very important number on yes. Thra. Like everything is three, 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 and then and what's once the next three. number? It's a seven, and yeah. you see like seven. You see a lot of. It's like very you know in the great conjunction. Um, uh, drawing by Brian Fraud, you get seven planets, seven suns, seven planets. It was very, it's like very, um, the numbers were very clear to us. And we we're like, okay, how do we do that? And then we're, and with the writers, we came up with, you know, the, the, the fires of resistance and the, the Oreal, that, sy- that system that just, you know, that, that's, you know, seven branch uh, star yeah. and all that stuff. Like we, it was funny. It was sort of like you grab a lot of elements and you piece together something and you're like, oh, did they, because it really makes sense when you right. think about it. And, you know, the reviews have been great on our show. People are like, hey, the mythology is amazing everything. We're like, yeah, we just, it, it, actually we just like created it out of stuff that they did almost naturally, like Jim Henson and Brian Froud did naturally. But I think it's sort of like, uh, uh, Brian Froud is very big on astral geometry and it's all like threes and sevens and, right. you know, you know, oh, if you go that route or if you go the other route, it's, it's twos and stuff. So it was, inter- it was interesting. You know, it's like, it's a mix of binary with the Skeksis mm-hmm. and Mystic and then mix of like, you know, sort of like non-binary. Threes and and, yeah, and threes and, and sevens and everything. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, it does make it a such more so much more of a complicated political and social world yeah, yeah. that you can then use to ask these questions about resistance and needing to overcome. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, it's always like it's the it don't it's never do black and white. Do always you know shades of gray. It's always better, and that's what we did. Yeah. 
So I want to talk a little bit about costume in both of these films. I know um, your mother was a costume designer, so the idea that, um, you know, costume is this formative experience for you. Um, And I love the way that costumes operate in the original film, the idea that um, the Skeksis have this real investment in their clothing, mm-hmm. and then there's that wonderful moment where the They're Chamberlain... Yeah. yeah, the Chamberlain is stripped, and then he's restored his robes. And so can you talk a little bit about the use of costume in the series? Well, he, he, yes. I mean, it's... He, my approach to Doc Crystal, initial approach when I was a kid, and afterwards, afterwards, when I was working, was always like, look how great those costumes are. You know, they make, you understand who this character is, the Skeks is based on his costume and how much jewelry he's had and what kind of jewelry he has and the different, you know, sort of like the chubby one, you know, how many roles he's got and, you know, you see his, like, shirt about to pop and it's really funny. So we, so I knew the costume were important but I didn't know how, how important it is to a puppet because the, the body of a, it's a, the puppet doesn't have a body. It's got a right. costume. The costume is the body. So you cannot strip a puppet, and there's nothing underneath. So it's like everything. And then the costumes have to be very light. So you cannot put real fabric. So all the fabric that you see are like simile fabrics. They look like rich velvet, like velvet but it's but it's not a velvet. It's like this flocking thing. It's basically, it's like um, it's that it's that. Um, it's that foam that you know that uh, insulating uh, foam that you oh. put in yeah, yeah but like a very thin layer scratched and burned so it just doesn't yeah. weigh anything yeah it doesn't weigh anything and then you add le- several layers and then you put it's all about transparencies and movements everything has to be real it's, again there's, in Skeksis there's like two maybe three people inside the costume so you cannot see them you know if you see the person inside people, the persons inside it, it sort of like ruins the trick. So it's very important to build this, and it's, there's lots of foam. So the costume is very important. And then on top of that, there's something that is so, so important, especially nowadays with all the digital cameras. It's patina. It's breaking down the mm. costume. And my mom, my mom is a really good costume designer. She's really tough. Uh, but she was like, oh, the patina, the patina, the patina, you know, like wearing it down. And I was, I was like, eh, I never really understood. <laughs> I never... As a kid, it's really sad. I never had clothes of mine. I always had to wear clothes for actors' clothes. And she's like, roll around in the dirt, you know. And you no, know, but she was like, you know, I had like brand new shoes and I had to like roll and sort of like, you know, walking back from school, you know, in the gutter. And I was like, hey, why do I have to do this? And, but I understood she wanted, she, and then she would wash it, wash it with tea, and, you know, she would break it down, break it down, break it down. I applied this, and then the frauds came in. And the frauds use a technique called, Froud water, which is basically disgusting muck that they spray on it, and and it sort of like adds like dirt, and then they burn it, and they do stuff like that. The best thing that happened to us, and the worst thing that happened to us, one day I was, so I was working all the time because on top of this I was editing at night, and then one day I'm editing in London. It was like the the hottest day in London. Sometimes you get like scorching, like oh. horrible, hundred percent humidity. You know, sort of like. 110 degrees never ha- it happens once a year once a year but it's like horrible and i'm editing i'm like you know windows open and i hear beep, 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 beep. this alarm that always went on i was like oh, fire alarm it's so annoying i walk on stage to turn it off the set is on fire i mean for real and i'm alone and all the puppets it was like for some reason it was like the the day where normally the puppets were in the creature shop but this time they were all on set because we were doing the final battle 
And I was like, no! Save the puppets! Save the puppets! Well, I was alone. I was like, Louis, what are you <laughs> The thing that's dangerous is that it's all polystyrene. When polystyrene burns, it becomes cyanide. So it, basically me going in was like, I could have died in two seconds. So I, take, I was like, wow. show or me, or, and you don't think about this. So I took, a sh- I took my shirt, wrapped it around me, and then went in. And, you know, the, it, it was still on fire. The, the uh, sprinklers had turned on and everything. And then I started bringing the puppets out one at a time, but it was raining on them and the smoke and everything. Eventually, I was, as I, before I went in, I called the, the fire department. They came in and <laughs> they had x-ray. I forgot. To, I, I drew the uh, set because it was really complex. There was like a zigzag. I was like, it's, you have to go. I know where the fire is. Go there. Go there. It was like really a strong fire. I was like, you have to go there. And I drew that stuff. They, they ran in, they have those camera x-ray, you know, um, heat vision kind of thing. They see what they are. They came back out. Holy crap! There are kids everywhere! They looked at us. I was like, no, no, oh, I forgot to tell you. It's puppets. <laughs> and one guy came out. He's like, with an English accent, excuse me, is it the Dark Crystal? I was like, yeah, the guy was a fan. He's like, ah, so the Chamberlain. He was looking straight at me. I was like, yeah, yeah, we're doing the Dark Crystal. Oh, that's an awesome guy. Let's go back in. And, uh, and they turn off the thing. The good thing about that day, the worst thing about that day, and the good thing about the day is that the puppets were, we thought they were ruined, but when we dried them, they were amazing. They were perfect like for perfectly the, distressed. perfectly distressed for the final battle. So when you look at the final battle, you'll see like all the puppets are like ha, <laughs> and Rian is like ha. But it looks amazing. It looks like you know they actually you know went to war. But it was the best thing. It's so like you know you cannot you cannot age stuff enough, especially in the day of digital cameras and 4K and we shot in 8K and then it's gonna keep going into the K world and it's gonna get like so perfectly defined that. If you don't age material, it's going to look like straight out of a rack onto a set. So your advice is just light it all on fire. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, no. I bet, yeah, no, 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 but, no but like, you know, age stuff up, you know, really do age stuff up, you know, it, yeah. it, it uh, you know, when you look at it, you know, with your naked eye, you're like, eh, you know, did they go a little too far? But, you know, the camera cleans up everything. That's amazing. So, yeah. Well, I have one last question, which is... Um, Did you start the fire? No, no, no I didn't. <laughs> no, no, no. Everybody um, thinks so, but no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you obviously have an affinity for remaking the products of the early 80s, booth doing... Um, <coughs> no, on purpose. <laughs> I did it once, and they were like, yeah. Flash the yeah, yeah, doing Dark Crystal. So I guess I'm wondering, Which are one? there other late 70s, early 80s projects that you're ready to take no. a crack at? No, no, it, those movies really... Uh, they define my life. If I don't know, I don't know. I just don't know. These days, I don't know if kids these days, you guys, I don't know if you feel you're experiencing the same thing I experienced. I'm 46. Every, in the 80s, every week or two weeks, whether I was in France or you're in America, there was something special that was coming out. Something like you were invited to a world that you never visited before, and it, it could be like a galaxy far, far away, or you know, Portland or somewhere where the Goonies are, and you're like, oh, well, you know, it was like, and it was like, I, 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 it really, it defined my, my eye, my sensibility, but I think not only me, I mean, you, you know, Comic-Con, like, you know, you walk the alleys of Comic-Con, you're like, all these people have, have been, their lives have been changed by the movies of the, of the 80s, you know. Right, by these iconic characters. Yeah, and then, you know, and then, 
obviously I did some Marvel, I started the MCU with the Marvel Studios and everything, and everybody at Marvel is like me, like, you know, the 80s is, you know, it was, it was a defining period for them, you know, so, so the stuff that, I mean, you see, like, when you see, when you watch Marvel movies, you're like, it's very clear that this is, like, an homage to this or homage to right. that or, you know, was influenced by this, you know. But that's the moment they're drawing on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, with that, thank you very thank you. much for coming, Louis. Thank you. This was really wonderful. <laughs> thank you so much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.